Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Yes. yes, yes, we do. Turn to the person next to you and say, we need to tell some people about Jesus. Yeah. Well, hey, we just want to acknowledge and thank uh, all of those who helped us out this weekend that were involved with the play on Friday, stuff here this morning. Uh, in the back, we had a lot of people behind the scenes producing, creating, and everything else. Everyone here who was involved through the period of time, little, large, whatever, stand up right now. We want to thank all of you. The actors, like 45, 50 people, stand up. Yeah, very good. Some of them are up in Middleburg. Thank you so much. Special recognition to Jay and Ashley Brogan. Jay, Ashley, stand up. Yeah. You did a great job. Ashley was production manager for the first time, but her experience in acting goes way back to fifth grade. Was it sixth grade or fifth grade? Sixth grade. She was Dr. Checkup, right? Newhart. Okay, yeah. I remember her real well. It was... uh, some years ago, so give me a break. All right. Hey, by the way, one announcement that I didn't hear, maybe I was, wasn't paying attention or something, but the, uh, this Wednesday is our Wealth Builders Collective, and uh, we're in our third session. We've been having a great time. About 60, 65 people come together. It's free of charge. You can come. You don't have to come from the beginning. You can jump in anytime. And we're talking a little bit about how to lift our financial situation in all aspects of life, whether you're rich, poor, wherever you are, in this whole thing, we want the quality of life raised up in this environment called Earth. So come on out Wednesday night at 6.30, 6.30. We have kind of a brief TED Talk type talk. This week is gonna be about cryptocurrency. And some people have no idea what crypto is about. This could be your chance to really hear it. Somebody in our church has become a bit of our whiz kid expert on it. And uh, they're doing very, very well. I want to just share some of a little bit of what they've learned from that. So that's this Wednesday night at 6.30, trying to help people out in any way we can. All right. Hey, happy Resurrection Day. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, it changed all of our lives in such a powerful way because it becomes a narrative that actually reflects something in every person's life that is a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, some believers don't realize that, that we live in Christ, that our Christ now becomes a reflection of the very, our life becomes a reflection of the life that Jesus had here on earth. So it was amazing because Jesus literally, I should say God in heaven, the Father, through Jesus Christ, weaponized love. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but are spiritual. And we know now that the very death, burial, what's traditionally called DBR, death, burial, and resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection is a, is a micro-narrative that affected the entire narrative, particularly of the Western civilization. And so we're going to talk about that a few minutes and talk about how in the Bible there are hidden hints about Jesus. Just like we saw in this skit, which is a reflection modernized version of uh, the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus, after Jesus was resurrected, he walked around, but 
He looked different. People could not recognize him. There's something of the transformational glory of God that was upon him that did not, even his closest friends were not able to recognize him. And Jesus spent uh, about 40 days walking around, ministering to people, raising people from the dead in his resurrected body. That 40 days was a template of the spirit-led life, what it is when you enter into the death, burial, and resurrection, which is reflected over and over in the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, over and over again. And in the beginning, we find out the, the uh, parallels of Jesus' life and our life. Our life represents doing whatever you want to do. You know, we're either doing well in our lives, or maybe we're not doing so well, or maybe you do well sometimes, not so well other times. But you begin to realize that when you hide yourself in Christ, when you give yourself fully to Jesus Christ, you enter into a meta-narrative. In other words, an overarching narrative that, gets, that comes upon your life that gives you a pattern to live by and a way to live righteously before God, to be a great human being, hopefully, not perfect, but really touched by his power, and to eternally, to know that eternally you're gonna spend time with Jesus in heaven. So there's a series of verses. I'm gonna go over these quick and then we're gonna settle in to a passage before we have the Easter egg hunt for the children. What's this muffins for moms thing? I, I thought it's been fixated in my mind since they said that. We're gonna have donuts for dads on uh, Father's Day. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Uh, John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the beginning of the, of the micro-narrative that changes our lives. God's immense love for us because we had fallen through the sin of Adam and Eve. And the whole world, even the planet itself, had, had a fallen state. It wasn't quite what God produced from the beginning. And there was a separation and an aloneness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Or as we famously quote here, as St. Augustine said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every person's heart. Only God can fill that. Relationships can, drugs can't, alcohol can't, whatever else you're running after, trying to fill that void can't. But Jesus Christ fits into that slot in your heart. So the Father loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 4 says this, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. It's, it's a violent love. When the, when the love of God hits you, particularly over these past two years, with the constant drip of fear through the pandemic and everything that we've experienced over these past few years, people do not realize how much their soul has been eroded. I mean, just drip, 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 and it, you feel you're losing less of yourself, and some people won't even come out of their house right now because they've been captivated by fear and concerns, and some of it legitimate where they're guarding their immune systems or whatever, but we all feel that to some degree that, well, I don't know, I'm a little concerned to come in public, to sing in public, to shake hands, to reconnect, and you know, there's always going to be that fear on this side of heaven, but perfect love that only comes from Jesus, can cast that out. It says it in the Word of God. John 15 says this, greater love has no one than this, we all know this verse, than to lay down one's life, one's life 
for his friends. Jesus came and demonstrated his love by fixating around age 30. He turned resolutely toward Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to die a horrific death, but he was being lifted up to fulfill some ancient covenants between the Jews and God, God's people and God, about the Passover lamb that was slain every year. But we find out in Jesus Christ, he became the Passover lamb. That's why he's called the lamb of God. And some of us don't understand. I know I've talked with a lot of people about this over the years and, you know, this talk about the blood of the lamb. I mean, it feels very gory. And if you've watched the movie, you know, The Passion by Mel Gibson years ago, you can see that it was depicted in a very glory way, gory way, and that it was brutal. It was the worst kind of, kind of death penalty that they were assigned in the first century Roman world, used only for the most hideous, the worst of sins. But the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us. In other words, at that point, he took everyone's sin that you commit in your life, he took it to the cross, he bore it, and he received the penalty of death. All you have to do is you align yourself with Jesus Christ to receive the benefit of the inheritance of Christ in your life. And some of you are going to get an opportunity to do that here in just a few minutes. But his life was a multi-layered weapon of love. When you read about Jesus, you find out he liked to hang out with sinners. Amazing. He got criticized by religious people for hanging out with sinners. In fact, it's interesting. <laughs> they delineate scriptures, sinners, and tax collectors. Oddly enough, tomorrow is the day of tax collection. Sinners and tax collectors. Uh, he hung out with, and, and the Pharisees despised him for it. So you should be hanging out with the religious people. You should be like us, you know. And God forbid that we be a religious people. I believe in religion in the sense that it's caring for orphans and widows, and it's following hard after Jesus Christ, but I'm really into relationship. I want to have a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Father of my grace, the brother, brother love of my soul, Jesus Christ. And so I've given my life to follow him. But in his life and in his story, there's these layers. That's why scripture is so important. And living in Christ is so important. You begin to see God everywhere, so much so that Romans 1 says that in nature, we even see, it testifies of his divine attributes. You realize that even in the, that's why cat videos are so important. We see everything, everything we see, the leaves, the change of seasons, all these things when you witness it. It's, it as, you, as you are walking in Christ, you begin to see the awesome commands and, and, and creation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's all over the place. And that work that we see is destroying the power of the evil one. The Bible says Jesus' purpose was to come and destroy the works of the evil one, Satan himself. There, are, there, is, there is evil in the world. And Satan is at foot. He's, he's causing all kinds of things. The, you know, there's two lions in the Bible. The enemy goes out like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But there's also the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is the one we sang about this morning, 
which is an Old Testament term and New Testament term for Jesus Christ himself. So there was an eternal separation of us from the love of God through the sin of Adam. And we find out the love of God comes and destroys fear, it destroys loneliness, and it casts out all that evil and difficulty and challenge and the wound and the, the abuse and the effects and the misunderstandings, all those things that harass us in life, they get cast out. I mean, they still happen to us. It's still a part of our history. But through Jesus Christ, love covers a multitude of sin. There's something powerful that comes upon the believer of Jesus Christ that they realize love covers Love covers, love covers. The guy that cuts me off in traffic, minor thing. Love covers. The boss you have that's on you all the time, minor thing, but love covers. It comes into your heart and embraces you where you can see, not what you would see by yourself, but you can see through the eyes of Jesus Christ and love begins to captivate your life and destroy the powers of darkness. In 1 Peter 2, it says that we are a chosen generation. This is in Christ. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. I always like that verse. We're special. To the person next to you and say, you're special in Jesus. And you might add, me too. I, you know, you're special for me too. That he may proclaim, so all this is happening for what reason? We may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. This is an Old Testament reference of Israel being delivered out of Egypt. So he calls you out of darkness, harassed by the evil one, into his glorious light. It's a transformation that is lightning fast. When you receive Jesus Christ in your life, boom, you are out of darkness into light. Doesn't mean that there's not darkness around you. But the light of God is in you and increasing every day as you express the love of Jesus Christ in all things that you do. Now, I want to talk about this meta narrative thing. Many of you may be familiar with the term, some are not. It just came to me again this week when I was thinking about it. There are things and philosophies, even ideologies in life that come as meta narratives. They're overarching narratives or stories that command how we live our life. In fact, many of you have been living in a meta-narrative of your family, which could be good. It's not a bad thing. There are good narratives over families that actually compelled each generation to move forward because of what their ancestors did. You come from a great family. You come from a family that's been strong and maybe prosperous, maybe skillful in one aspect of life, or maybe there's something in your nature or in your DNA that sets you apart from other people and other tribes and other generations, you know? And so you pick that up. Sometimes it's assuming a father's business or something like that. And it's moving, like my grandfather did this, my father was in the military, I'm in the military, we stand strong for our country. Those meta-narratives can be a good thing. But there's also things that happen in our life that change that narrative and cause difficulty. I'm a loser, I'm a failure. I can't help myself, I can't do anything that's right. You know, sometimes divorce will do that. Make you think, oh, I just, I don't know how to relate. And, or, or losing a job or going bankrupt or, 
or getting in a car accident or, or feeling sick or whatever it might be in your life where you see that this is now my narrative. Let me tell you, everything that's evil that comes upon you and difficult that comes upon you does not necessarily have to shape the rest of your life. In Jesus Christ, the narrative comes and you step out of yourself into the story of Christ. What a powerful exchange that is. My life for his life. You know, uh, let's give you a little history. I know this is maybe the boring part for some, but we always see that there's a movement to shift and change. Actually, the Enlightenment, four or 500 years ago, where there was the Renaissance, there was the Enlightenment. It was like a twin birthing of awakening. One was based upon spiritual move of God, which was the Renaissance, or the rebirth. That's what Renaissance means. And then there's the Enlightenment, where there was an understanding that came with science and, uh, and with rational thought. In fact, enlightenment is a term used for rational thought allied to scientific reasoning, uh, which would inevitably move you toward a moral, social, and ethical progress. There is some truth to that. I actually believe, I think we could prove it, the enlightenment was birthed out of the Renaissance. In other words, God moved, and out of it, it began to change people's minds. But some people thought actually rational thinking was their new God. So the science will lead us. The science will prove everything. How many of you know that science is limited? It's excellent. We are glad for medicine. We're glad for all these things. But, and we do not want to fight that. But we always balance it out with who Jesus is and what Scripture speaks of. And so that's a meta narrative. Are, are you a rational person? Are you a spiritual person? What are you? It dictates how we live our life. Marxism and, and uh, Leninist. Uh, I've, I've been to Marxist countries and they believe that in order to be emancipated, society must undergo a revolution. So there's always talk about revolution. Freudian theory holds that human history is a narrative of repressive sexual desires. Everyone has an opinion. You act this way because of this. Your, your family's this way because of that. There's a feminist movement. There's defining moments like the fall of the Roman Empire, dark ages, renaissance. These are all defining moments that are in the macro worldwide that we live these out, but are also in the micro in your life. You could be going through something right now that is defining your, your moment, defining your life. That is a meta-narrative. And you've got to decide somewhere along the way, like, this is not going to be my narrative. How people have seen me is not the way I'm going to live out my life or even in my life. But I'm going to be a moral, ethical, strong follower of Jesus Christ. And that becomes the meta-narrative in your life. Christianity actually has a belief in universal redemption, doesn't matter what color you are, what race, what background, what ethnicity. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how your past was, how horrible it was, how difficult it was. In Jesus Christ, love covers. Love covers a multitude of sin. You know, as we just watched in this skit, I wish you could have been here Friday night. If you weren't, uh, we'll, we'll probably do it again next year. We've been doing it the past two years. We adjust it and tweak it. But what we're trying to do is understand the impact upon two people's lives, a man and a woman, in a relationship where things are going south. It's going bad. And yet, through a dream, kind of an Ebenezer Scrooge-like thing, John, the guy here, 
He uh, has a dream. And that dream is one of being placed into the narrative of Jesus Christ, where he meets Jesus, gets to know Jesus, and eventually at the cross, gives his life fully to Jesus Christ. It's a very simple but very powerful story of us individually entering into the story of Christ. When he comes back, I mean, everything's not perfect, but now love covers a multitude of difficulties in his marriage, his life, and realigns him to the purposes of the cross. And what you just saw here a few minutes ago was the road to Emmaus, which we talked about these two men. In the scripture story, these two men walked beside Jesus. The Bible calls them disciples, so they were followers of Jesus, but did not recognize who he was. And they follow with him, and there's a scripture there that's so fascinating. I've, uh, I've loved it. Uh, I don't know when I first read it, but Jesus told them, this is a seven-mile hike that they were on going to Emmaus. And Jesus tells them during that seven-mile hike, how long would that take? Several hours? I don't even know. But he says this, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Think about that. Think about walking with Jesus but not knowing it's him. And he just starts revealing himself all through scripture. Did you know that all of you are on the road to Emmaus? We're all in a place where we do not recognize Jesus in certain moments, but he's revealing himself all throughout your life, all throughout scripture. And if you stop and get that meta narrative, that template in your life of understanding that God was with me and has been with me even before I came to know Jesus Christ. All along the way, you would pinpoint opportunities and situations where you were saved by a tragic accident or you went through something. And then that time, the Lord was with you. It's a powerful, powerful story in Scripture. And so as they get toward the house that they were, these two travelers were going with with Jesus, as you saw in the video there, right out here in our backyard here at the church, um, they appealed to Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, saying, come. Traveler was common in those times. Join us to break bread together. Jesus going into the house, you wouldn't have saw this in the video, but because he was a guest, they would offer him the opportunity to break the bread. And so Jesus there begins to break the bread to open the time of eating together. One of the strongest forms of fellowship in Scripture is eating together. That's why we have muffins for moms. <laughs> eating together. He breaks the bread, and when he does in Scripture, it says their eyes were open. They saw it was Jesus. And unlike the video we just saw, Jesus vanishes. We couldn't figure that out, so he vanishes. And he's gone. And they're all there like, did not our hearts burn within us when we were on that road? In other words, they knew along the way, there were indications along the way like, something's going on here that's different than just the normal thing in life, but, you know, it's, it's still in my life, so it's got to be just a natural thing. Well, we, are, we learn through that that God moves through our lives even before we know it's him, and he's, he's creating a burning heart. He's creating a desire. He's creating a passion to follow Jesus Christ all the days of your life. So this Bible story continues on. I could talk all day about this. It's what I've devoted my life to. But there is a trilogy in the book of Psalms, just to give you an example before we close here. 
and it involves Psalm 22. Psalm 23, how many of you know what Psalm 23 is? Lord is my shepherd, that one. Most of us know that or we've heard that. And so we forget the, the psalm right before it, Psalm 22, which is known traditionally of the psalm of the cross. And did you know it starts out, let me just show you here real quick. Psalm 22 starts out with this. See if you recognize this. This is written a thousand years before Jesus came on this planet. A thousand years. But it says this. King David writes this and he says, actually the shepherd David writes this and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Jesus selected Psalm 22, portions of Psalm 22 to speak on when he was on the cross. I mean, try to get that in your world. Like a thousand years before, did David know that, that that's what Jesus would say? Or did Jesus just use Psalm 22 and say, this relates into my moment right now and I'm gonna confess it. Here's what, here's what Psalm 22 says. I'll just give you little portions of it. Why are you so far from helping me? This is what Jesus was meditating on when he was on the cross. He knew these Psalms. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, he's calling out to God, the Father. But you were holy and throned in the praises of Israel. He's praising God while he's on the cross. But you are he who took me out of the womb and you made me trust well at my mother's breast. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Basham have encircled me. He's talking about the torture and the torment of his soul when he's on the cross. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint, and my heart is like wax, and it's melted within me. Dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked. Do you see what's going on in Jesus' mind when he's on the cross? They divide my garments among them. Have you heard that before? That's what the soldiers did. And for my clothing, they cast lots. It's amazing. Every action of those who are against Jesus was actually recorded in Scripture a thousand years prior to Jesus showing up. I will declare your name to the brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Jesus turns while he's on the cross. He's still worshiping the Father in the, in the midst of it. That was his journey. And then let's look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24, and we'll get back to Psalm 23 and end with that. Psalm 22 is the cross. Psalm 24, this is a little trilogy right there in the middle of Psalms. Psalms 24 is the song of ascent. It's the song that when Jesus ascended before his disciples, 10 days before Pentecost, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus came to a point where he said some things. He talked about the Holy Spirit coming. He prophesied that in 10 days, well, he didn't say 10 days, but Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he, he talked about you'll be witnesses, like your lights are gonna be turned on like never before. You will be a shining light to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus prophesies it. And then in bodily form, he ascends into the heavens. I mean, what a moment. And even the voice came out of the heavens and spoke to them in that moment. It was a demarcation point. It began the meta narrative of the church, which has gone on now for 2,000 years. Yeah, the church goes off. The church does weird things at times. But let me tell you something. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, his church is meant to be a weapon of love also, to carry on the work, 
of Jesus Christ. So here's the song of ascent. I'm just gonna give you a few verses out of it so you can recognize it. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. Jesus was probably meditating on this before he ascended into heaven. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. That was Jesus. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Jesus is preaching here. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. He's saying, open the doors to heaven. I'm coming. Verse 10. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. And he begins to take off into the heavens. So it's a picture of suffering, Psalm 22. And then it's a picture of ascending into the gates of the Lord. And right between that, although it's not clearly designated to this, traditionally, they say Psalm 23 is the psalm of resurrection. That's today. That's today. It speaks to the resurrected life in Jesus Christ. It speaks to every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the life you live. I remember I told it just a few weeks ago. Sorry for the repeat of it, but... It just fits in so well today. You know, the, back in 2012, when I was diagnosed with stage three cancer and going through a very difficult time, had to go through six months of chemotherapy and then a, an intense uh, week of chemotherapy before stem cell bone marrow transplant. And, uh, you know, in a time like that, you need hope. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I tell you, when you hear the big C word, cancer, you know, especially stage three, this is not good, you know. I asked the doctor what my, what my choices are. He said, you have one choice. And he laid it out. It was stem cells, so I took it. I said, in prepping for that, you know, prepping for that was very difficult and, and, and challenging in my life. But the Lord told me, he said, I'm going to, that summer, he's, he very clearly, when I was just waiting on the Lord, I felt him speak to me. The Bible says my sheep will know his voice. So I was trying to hear, especially after the C word. Whew. I said, Jesus, help me. And I felt it so clear, a, a passage I knew very well, Psalm 23. He said, I'm going to walk you through Psalm 23. I knew it well, but I looked it up because I want to see what's the roadmap here. He's going he's to lead me. He's, he's going to make me lie down. He's going to restore my soul. Oh, he's going to lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. But on the other side, there's life. And and he'll be with me for the rest of my life, you know. And so it was, it was assuring to me. It's interesting. I went through this six, seven, eight months, grueling difficulty. I come out on the other side of re with recovery. I'm, 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 I'm very limited. I'd lost a lot of weight. I was just emaciated, really. But I, on Easter Sunday, I was allowed to come out in public, and I thought, I want to preach. It was not pretty, let me tell you that. I was very weak. I was very tired. But I said, of all Sundays, I got to preach on, on that Sunday, and I thought, I'm, the Lord took me through Psalm 23, so I'm going to preach out of Psalm 23. I opened up to study for that Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, which was, you know, what, 10 years ago, this resurrection. Uh, nine years ago, I'm sorry, this resurrection. I was getting ready to preach, and I opened up Spurgeon. If you don't know who Spurgeon is, he's a, 
He's a guy from the late 1800s that wrote some amazing commentaries on Psalms. And so because I'm doing Psalm 23 and I just walked through it physically, just walked through it and Jesus was with me through the whole thing. A thousand little miracles, you know, a million little miracles. And, and I had that and I, I opened it up and in the, in the introduction of Psalm 23, Spurgeon says, I, uh, I like to call this the song of the nightingale. And that was important to me because six years prior, he gave me a dream where I was singing right after I was diagnosed with cancer. There's a nightingale in the house. There's a nightingale in the house. I walked it out six years, gave me Psalm 23, not knowing there's any connection, any relationship. I get up to preach after studying Spurgeon, knowing Psalm 23 is the song of the nightingale. I've walked through, I'm singing in the darkest hour of my life. That's what nightingales do. I've been to England. They sing in the middle of the night. It's kind of annoying, actually. So in your darkest hour, there's something that God will raise up within you that you can sing in the midst of great difficulty. That takes me to Psalm 23, and I end with this. In fact, let's all stand together if we could. Psalm 23. Song of resurrection. This is your life on Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This is Jesus' resurrection psalm. My cup runs over. It's, that's speaking of joy and blessing and prosperity and abundance. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is our come to Jesus moment. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your refresher course right now to say, yes, Jesus, I am in you. You are in me. Lead me, Lord, in Psalm 23 that I may walk through difficulties, but you're going to be with me. At times, you're going to lead me so that I can drink. At times, you're going to lead me and force me to lay down so that I can receive and be benefited by the rest of God. Yes, you will restore my soul. And yes, even in the presence of my enemies, I'll be able to stand and eat with them because love covers a multitude of woundedness and goodness and mercy, goodness. Some say it's two angels. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Hey, if you're here right now, we're gonna have the egg hunt here in just a few minutes. Let me just ask across this room, though. Uh, Joseph, you can help us out. Across this room, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you came this Sunday, maybe you don't go to church, maybe you've never asked Jesus to come in your life. Uh, this is a moment. You are not here by accident. Maybe you're invited by a friend or family member. But right now, in this moment, every eye open, heads up, this is a day of celebration. And if you're here and you do not know Jesus, we just say, come on. Join us. Join us in a prayer right now. And that prayer is going to be an invitation 
to ask Jesus to come into my life. And literally when you do that, this so much is, happens in that moment, but your meta-narrative begins. You've had the suffering. You eventually will go to heaven, the ascension. But you move into Psalm 23. Oh, Lord, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. My cup runs over. Yeah, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is actually a big chunk of your life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with me. I will fear no evil. He prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You're here today and you say, I've never asked Jesus. Or, you know, I did something when I was a kid or some years ago, but, you know, I've not been following Jesus. I, I feel like I'm far away from God right now. If you feel and know, even from what I've shared, I'm away from God, but I, I want God's presence in my life. I want to receive Jesus who died on the cross for me. Even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. It's amazing. He saw you at your worst moment and said, I'd die for this person. I wouldn't I would do that. But he did. Because of his great love, he laid down his life for a friend. He calls you his friend. If you're here today, starting over in this section over here, if you've, ne you've ne never prayed or, or you've wandered away, I want you to just raise your hand because we want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but we do want you to make a stand in the sense if you just raise your hand and say, look, I'm, I need prayer. I'm in on this. Over in this first section, if that's you, just raise your hand around this section over here. Anybody here? I don't want to miss anyone. God's moving on your heart right now. He's got something powerful for you. Your destiny, your identity, and your legacy is all tied into Jesus Christ. So if I were you and I wasn't around God, I'd say, yeah, pray for me. If that's you right now in this section, just raise your hand. Okay, how about in this center section right here? Anyone here? Been away from the Lord. Yes, thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Could just raise your hand. Yeah, we're going to pray for you in just a moment. Anyone else in this center section? Just raise your hand with this person and just say, yeah, I'm there too, man. I, please remember me like the thief on the cross and said, remember me. I see that hand back there. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Anyone else right here? We don't want to miss you. You can put your hand down just for a moment. As soon as we dismiss in just a minute, those who raise your hand, you can bring friends or whatever. But we've got some ministry team, if they can come up right now. Ministry team afterwards, that'll take a few minutes. We have a book we want to give you. Just pray for you a minute and just confirm, yes, you did the right thing today. God is with you. How about over in this section over here? Did I miss anybody? If you're over here and you said, I've been away from God, but I want to come to know Jesus Christ, this is your day to step into Psalm 23 and begin a life, a spiritual walk in Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand over in this section. I don't want to miss you. Anybody here? Raise your hand and say, please pray for me. Pray for me. All right. Let's thank the Lord for those that raised their hand. We appreciate it. Jay. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.